0: Well, good morning, Grace Point. Glad that you are here with us. Before I begin today, about a month or so ago, I kind of gave an update with our remodeling, massive remodel of our children's and youth environments. And I said, oh, probably in October. Probably in November. uh, Just delays that are outside of our control. So uh, just keep praying, keep praying um, that uh, we'll we'll build a grand opening those areas in November. Let me ask you this question, how, I mean how, what do you hold on to when your life has fallen apart? What do you hold on to when there's disappointment, when there's distress, when there's fear, where there's trials, what do you hold on to when there's tragedy that splashes onto your life and your family? Most people immediately think, well, I'm gonna hold on to my relationships. That's okay, but what if those relationships are the ones causing the pain? Or what if it's those relationships are the reason why you're in great pain and sorrow because they're gone? Sadly, many people today, they hold on to alcohol, they hold on to drugs other addictions to numb the pain, to bury the problem that's not lasting. The best answer of what to hold on to when your life gets turned upside down is something intangible, but very real. And that is hold on to your faith. Hold on to your faith. This strategy of hold on to one's faith has happened millions upon millions upon millions of times over the last several centuries. Holding on to faith in times of difficulty and even tragedy. story of this one who did that is a lady called Corey Tenboom. Corey Tenboom, there's a picture of her when she was younger and a picture before she passed away in uh, the late 1980s. Corey and her sister Betsy lived still with her father, and the three of them ran the watch maker business that they had in the Netherlands and the business and the home were attached together. And and so they made watches, but then in 1940 Hitler invaded and just down the street was the Gestapo station, the police station. And Corey, not a Jewish person heard that Jews were being rounded up and taken away And her faith prompted her and her family to say, well, all God's people are welcome in our home. So they built a secret hiding room. You could go there today, this this house is still there. And they put brick up, uh, up and then they made this, kind of this closet area with a trap door underneath and they could hide in the hiding place up to six Jewish people at a time, and, and Corey connected with uh, the Dutch underground, and and um, food was being rationed, and and they were passing out food vouchers, and so she went and met with one of the you know underground leaders, and she was wanted to ask, I need some food vouchers, and she said in my mind I was going to ask for ten vouchers, but when he asked how many I needed a hundred came out of my mouth. And he went away and came back with a hundred food vouchers. And then when they were in the hiding place at night, the Dutch underground would smuggle these people to freedom. In four years, Corey, Betsy and her father hid and helped save 800 Jews. But then they were finally ratted out, 1944. They were ratted out, and the Gestapo came and arrested uh, Corey, Betsy, and her father. And three days into the arrest, her father died. And then Betsy and Corey were moved to Ravens, was it Ravens uh, Ravensbrook, concentration camp. And while they've been working with hard labor all day in this this women's section, women's dorm, the Bible was smuggled in and Corey and Betsy led a Bible study. And many of the women in that barrack, in that area accepted Christ as her savior. And over time, Betsy's health kept declining. Then in one day, Betsy spoke her last words to her sister, encouraged her and slipped into heaven. 12 days after Betsy had died, Corey was brought into the office and released. Found out, she found out later it was an accident. It was a clerical error that she was released. And after Cory was released, Four days later, the entire women's barrack were sent to the gas chambers. Cor eventually made herself, made herself to America and wrote a book called The Hiding Place, eventually became a movie, The Hiding Place. And she went around the country speaking and encouraging people to hold on to their faith. And several times while she is speaking, she looked out into the audience and recognized a Nazi Uh, Ward, uh, soldier, prison, guard, and she was compelled to meet this person. It happened several times, and she forgave that soldier. She also had many famous sayings. Here's just three of them by holding on to your faith, she said at one point, she said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So if you have faith, you get this. If you don't, this makes no sense. Second thing she said is, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer trust God the last phrase she says if you look at the world you'll be distressed this is still true today if you look within you'll be depressed but if you look at Christ you'll be at rest so what do you hold on to when your life turns upside down when your life is facing tragedy and loss Continuing in our series in the book of Romans, called Steak and Potatoes, we're looking at really the theology, this deep, rich protein of theology of who God is, his truth, his judgments, his gospel, his grace, and today is his help, his help when life is hard. Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 5. And this help of holding onto our faith, I'm going to talk. I'm going to really describe from this text uh, two handles. When I say hold on to your faith, you may not understand what that means. Hopefully, today after you listen to this, you'll understand. I can hold on to this, and I can hold on to this, which means holding on to my faith. Now, if you haven't been in the series with us, you can catch up online uh, on our YouTube channel, Grace Point Kitsap. And we talked part one. We talked about the ugly truth from Romans chapter one. Chapter two, the uncomfortable truth that no one's good enough to get into heaven on their own. And last week we talked about the incredible good news. We walked through chapter three and the incredible gospel laid it out. And uh, between both services, 19 mostly adults accepted Jesus Christ as their savior last Sunday. Absolutely powerful, powerful, powerful news of the gospel Chapter four, Paul's writing to the Jewish uh, audience about that Abraham was declared righteous by his faith, not by works, not by obeying the law, which hadn't even showed up yet. And so in chapter five, we're going to answer some relevant questions, maybe questions you have right today, today, or you've thought about in the past, is how do I know I have what God has promised me, that I have his forgiveness, that I truly am his child? How do I really know that? And then if I am right with God, then why am I having trials? Why am I going through this? Why would God allow this, to hit us and our family or you personally? Romans 5 gives us some answers. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Verse 1, Paul writes, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, gives the gospel one more time. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we, or if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's a powerful rich. How do we get through this life and all of its challenges? Uh, Here's the central point if you're you're taking notes. Here's the two handles I'm gonna talk about today. Peace and hope will help us through life's disappointments and difficulties until the inheritance promised is given to us. Two handles are peace and hope will help us through life's disappointments and difficulties until we receive the inheritance promised is given to us. Once we receive it, we'll get it, we'll understand. Now you may not be facing a Hitler's concentration camp, but you've had a health scare and you don't know what to do and you don't know what's gonna happen to you or someone you love or maybe you've had to bury someone that you so crazy loved or you're facing an unknown with your finances and inflation is killing you. It doesn't matter what we're facing. Life is hard. Life is difficult and we're living in a sin-filled earth, where everything around us is broken. So what do we hold on to? Let's look at unpack verse one again. Therefore, since we have been justified, we have been made right with God, it's just as if we've never sinned. Okay, we see God's grace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Go ahead and back up one slide, Maddox i'm going to look at just the again the Bible, new testament wasn't written in english it was written in greek very um, uh, language was very uh, descriptive very explanatory in words so in the hebrew this verb have or have been or have is an interesting tense they have different tenses all right past tense present tense, future tense and this tense is a different kind of a tense and it what it what it means is what has happened is concrete, it's firm, it's not going to change, but the effects of what happened will remain forever. Okay, that's why it's so explanatory of so, so, so much help for us. That what has happened, that since we have been justified, that's in concrete, that is fixed, that is not going to change. Your standing with God will not change, even though we want to be stupid at times. Our relationship is sure, and we'll experience the blessings and the effects of being justified forever. Can I get an amen on that? Okay, God's, God, does it, God has feelings, but our relationship with God is not conditioned with how he feels about us, all right? The only feeling he has for us is he loves us and he's very patient with us because we're idiots, all right? But we're his ch- child. Once we're in God's family, it's concrete, it's fixed. It's not gonna change and we feel the effects of that new relationship ever uh, more and ever more. So that, that is what that is. Because of that, the second verb is we have peace with God. That we're no longer enemies. Verse 10 talked about while we were still enemies, he reconciled us. Not while we were cleaned up and we got ourselves better. No, when we were enemies, He reconciled us to God. Because of that, we have peace with God. We went from enemies to friends, now family. That is concrete. That is fixed. That is not gonna change. And we will experience the the, the effects of this forevermore that we, once we trust in Jesus, we have peace with God. see peace is one of Paul's reoccurring themes in his writings to these different churches and people. He mentions it fifty eight times. most of his letters weren't long fifty eight times is important that once we accept Christ we have access to the peace of God or the peace from God that passes all understanding. Our our brains and emotions can only go so far with an incident, with an experience, with a circumstance, but we have peace of God that goes beyond, transcends our own understandings. I'm telling you, the peace of God is priceless. You can go through anything with that peace of God. A little bit later in Philippians, he says, because we have the God of peace with us that will never leave us, never forsake us. Why? How, how do we have access to the peace of God and the God of peace? Because when we trusted in Christ, we have peace with God. We have that right relationship. We are no longer enemies, we're forever family. That is concrete, fixed, will not change. Will not change. This is why... This peace is something you can hold on to when your life is turned upside down. You're riding a roller coaster and you're in this forever flip. You can hold on to your faith. And what does that mean? The peace of God, because I have peace with God. And this peace leads to hope. That's what he says next, to hope. He says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, first of all, let me explain the word glory. Glory in the the Greek, it means the splendid remarkable appearance. What does that mean? When we see Jesus, that, that is the glory of God. We get to now, we've heard it, we believe by faith, even though we're 2,000 years old, old, past the resurrection, and now we get to see the glorious appearing of Jesus, whether we die and we go to him or he comes back for us. That's the glory of God, and he says, and we can boast in this hope of the glory of God, the peace, and now this hope. Now, in the English language, this word hope is a synonym to wish. I hope my team wins through I hope. I hope she says yes. I hope I get that job. There's been 27 applicants and I put mine in. I hope I get that job. That is not the Greek definition, hope in the Greek means to look forward with confidence. And it also means to that which is good and beneficial. I am placing, I'm holding my hope when I finally get to see Jesus after this crazy life is over. And I can look forward to it with confidence because it's going to happen. And when I see Jesus, oh, it is for my good. And oh, is it beneficial. So our central point is peace and hope will help us through whatever disappointments you may face, whatever difficulties is thrown in your face and you find yourself there, we're gonna hold on to that peace and hope until the inheritance promised is given to us. Now, how how many of you, have ever been like incredibly tight with money? There's like hardly any money in your life. Maybe a season. Maybe it's this week. All right, put your hand up. It's all right. Safe place. All right, you have no margin. All right, you got what more bills than the month? Right? How many of you have been there? Yes, I've been there. Uh, now, how many of you are under the age of thirty? Could I see your hands? Nice and high. Under the age of thirty. Okay. All right. And you've been broke before. Now, if you're over the age of 30, just remember back. Some of you might need to take out your calculator and figure that out. What was it like when you were in your 20s and you didn't have enough money and you lost sleep? Now, say you're in your 20s and that's you. How would you handle going or having with little or with without how would you handle f- being financially tight or lacking if you knew when you turn 30 it triggered you. how would you handle a lack of money And the financial tension in your 20s, if you knew when you turn 30, that birthday, that inheritance is now available to you. Do you think you would go through finances a little bit different? Yes. You're like, I'll just take it out of that alone. Because when I turn 30, I can pay that back in 10 minutes. See, when you have what is coming, what is assured. It is not just a wish. It is a confident expectation that is going to bring about your good and be very beneficial to you and others who know you. Your perspective with a lack of finances is vastly different because of that hope that you're going to face. You're gonna face that hope. So Paul is saying you have this peace with God and this hope that we can boast in this hope of the glory of God, it's coming. Jesus can make everything right and everything better and everything perfect again. See, with that in mind, Paul can write verse three. He says, not only with this, he says, not only so, we also gonna glory in our sufferings. Now, again, without peace and hope, you're going, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not gonna go, woohoo, in my sufferings. You're gonna whine and complain and blame God that you loved me in our sufferings. Now, notice very carefully, Paul doesn't say about that we also glory about our sufferings, no, 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 we glory. What's that word? In it. When you're hurting, when you're lonely, when you're losing sleep, if you have the right perspective and you have the peace of God that transcends all understanding it's guarding your heart and mind in Jesus Christ, oh, man, you can go through it. it's not in your strength, it's the peace of God. And you also have the hope that this life is just a vapor. My problems are just a phase because when Jesus comes back, as Paul says later in epistles, we'll look back and, oh, those trials, I was light and momentary trials. But right now you're in it. So your perspective can change when you're holding on to peace and hope that will carry you through whatever disappointments and difficulties until the inheritance comes your way. So with that, I can glory in my sufferings. This is why if you understand that, have that right perspective, that what Paul says next makes a little more sense. Because he says this, because, same verse, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces what? Hope. What does this mean? I heard an amazing story. Uh, about a month ago, I was doing some yard work and had my headphones on, listening to a podcast and the story of a Navy SEAL by the name of Jason Redman told his story. And Jason in high school, he wanted so bad to be a Navy SEAL. He went down several times to the recruiting station and just says, I wanna be a Navy SEAL. And they went, uh, no, get out. Because just of his size and his stature. Then they finally had some new you know, recruiters And this one guy, he still remembered his name, when he saw Jason, five foot seven, weighing pretty much nothing, he said, I'll walk with you. And he got him into the the Navy SEAL program at five foot seven, 135 pounds. I used to, my youth pastor days in California, we would camp on the beach, Coronado Island, and we'd hear the Navy SEALs. And that's where Jason found himself. And guess what Jason experienced? He experienced all of these sufferings to see how how much you could take until you quit. The navy didn't kick out any nail, uh, I mean navy seal wannabes. They walked out themselves. And he said, "We were being trained that whatever you go through, and you think, I can't go any farther. We were trained that you can go 20% more if you have the right mental strength. So when he's running his guts out and he's thrown into cold water, when he is hallucinating in the dark, in the water, in a, in a, in a raft, he, he experienced sufferings. Guess what that led to? Perseverance. He got toughened up. Pretty soon he had a confidence, I can go through anything. Because of my sufferings, I can persevere. I can endure. I can do this. I can go farther than I think I can. And perseverance produces character In Navy SEALs, that no matter the circumstance, I can uh, follow through with that order. No matter how hard and how, how how difficult, I can't, that's what character is, doing what needs to be done in spite of opposition. Doing the right thing as a SEAL. And his training, his sufferings, his perseverance, his character got him to the point of, of hope when I feel like it is the end, I know it's not, I have hope beyond the end. Number of years later, Jason is in Iraq on a special secret mission to capture an Al Qaeda leader. And they walked right into an ambush, got bad information, false information to set them up, to kill them all. And he finds himself in the middle of a crazy firefight, firefight that he says it was a firefight from hell. And he took a machine gun, a close range, took, took a bunch of shots that just lit up his body and his face. He fell to the, collapsed to the ground. Everyone, including his uh, other soldiers, he said, Jason's dead, but he wasn't. 96 hours later, he wakes up, And he knows he's in a military facility and hospital, and and there's tubes everywhere, and and he he was like, what is going on? And he overhears that uh, a lot of his face was gone, his left wrist. Was, couldn't do anything. His elbow was destroyed. They're having conversations. He's hearing this. He's kind of coming in and out of consciousness. He's hearing about they're talking about amputation, and and he has now all, all this emotion of confusion, and then and then what what is happening? And what the amputation? What is going on? Then he remembers someone coming up to him and say saying Lieutenant Redman, it's going to take years to put you back together. When he saw his face, he had several thoughts. Is my wife's gonna stay with me? I mean, look at this. Are my kids gonna be terrified at my sight and not want to be anywhere near me? I think I'm at the end. I think I'm at the end. My military career is gone. I'm forever disabled and disfigured, I'm at the end. So over a number of days, he's processing all this, all these different thoughts. Then he overhears in his room comments like, what a shame. Got these young soldiers and vibrant and now they're broken forever damaged, what a shame, what a loss. And he's hearing all this, he still can't speak. And he goes, I had a decision to make. And in that hospital bed with all those tubes, I decided I will not be a victim. I will not remain a victim. And he somehow, it says I, I, he wants to write something, and they got him a pen and a paper, and he started writing down like this, and then he somehow communicated to post this on the door. And they posted what he wrote on the door. Since you can't read it, let me tell you what he wrote. <laughs> Attention to all who enter here. If you are coming into this room with sorrow or to feel sorry for my, my wounds, go elsewhere. The wounds I received, I got in a job I love, doing it for the people I love, supporting the freedom of the country I deeply love. I am incredibly tough and will make a full recovery. What is full, that is the absolute utmost physically my body has the ability to recover. Then, I will push that about 20% further through sheer mental tenacity. This room you are about to enter is a room of fun, optimism, and intense, rapid regrowth. And if you're not prepared for that, go elsewhere, signed, the management. And that letter became famous, still famous to this day. Because he had what it took to hold on and keep going even when he thought it was the end. So when you're facing, like, I don't know what to do. Well, peace and hope you hold on to that will carry you through life's difficulties, tragedies, disappointments, heartbreaks, whatever, until the inheritance that is promised to you is given to you. So a couple of last things for your notes. If you're whatever you're going through, don't waste your sufferings. Don't waste your sufferings. This this is challenging for America today because the number one goal in most Americans is this. I wanna be happy. That's my life's goal. That is the lamest goal anyone could ever have because happiness means happenstance, otherwise known as circumstance because circumstances change. You're happy and then you're not and they're brief. And that's why even believers who don't, don't really understand what faith is and, and what to hold on to when difficulties come and they face sufferings. They're like, I'm out, I, I quit, God didn't work. Oh no, God still works, but he allows suffering because he wants us to gain endurance. He wants us to gain what we need to keep going and to persevere. So you have a choice, whatever you're going through, whatever I'm going through, you're gonna be a victim or claim your right as victorious because of Jesus Christ. It's our choice. You're gonna give glory to God in spite of whatever you're facing, that's your choice. Some of you were here when my wife went through a very scary cancer Season and we had the information and we were processing it emotionally and mentally and didn't know what to do and and uh, we waited several days to how do I how do we even share this with our daughters? Two of them were in Virginia at college and one was in their junior year at CK. So then we finally had to tell them mom has cancer and it's serious. And before I went public here at Grace Point. The night before I'm at the kitchen table and I'm going over my notes. Candy's upstairs in bed and my youngest daughter Kaylee comes into the, the, the dining room and says, dad, what are we gonna do? And I remember meekly praying to God Say, give me the words to say because what I say right in this moment is so critical for her faith journey. Dad, what are we going to do? I turned around and I said, honey, I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to get either bumpy or very, very difficult. But regardless, we will choose to give God glory in this. And I'm going, how is a 17 year old processing that information? And she was looking at me as a daughter, like looking through me and Kaylee goes, okay then. And walked (laughs) out. So I know where some of you have been when it's so dark You don't know what's gonna happen. But to hold on to peace of God, because I have peace with God and the hope, you can go through anything. So don't waste your sufferings. And lastly, is our hope will not disappoint. Paul says in verse five, and hope does not put us to shame. This hope that we're placing in that Jesus is coming back and Jesus, or when we die, we go to see Jesus. That hope will not disappoint. That's what it means. It won't put us to shame. We're not gonna get to heaven and go, oh, I thought it'd be better than this. (laughs) It's gonna absolutely be so overwhelming that we'll never get over it in eternity. The hope that we have in Christ is real. Some people, believers, many Christians, you just have a crutch. Oh, I don't have a crutch. I have an anchor that will help me in life's craziest storms. We have a hope, a hope that will not disappoint. I'm gonna close with lyrics of an old song, just one verse and we'll end the chorus. If you've been walking with Jesus a long time, you, you know this song when I start reading it. The word is so true. Sometimes the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away, all tears forever over in God's eternal day. It will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Would you pray with me? God, you know Exactly what every single person in this room or watching right now online is going through, what they're carrying. And Lord, I pray that if they don't have a relationship with you, they will run to Jesus and say, be my savior. If they do have a relationship with you, they are in the right standing with you because of their faith, that now they now will rest and hold onto the peace they have with God, and they will hold on to the hope of your glorious appearing. I pray that they will hold tight to their faith and you will walk with them wherever they're they're going through. It will be worth it all, Jesus, when we see your face and all sorrows will truly be erased. Help us to run this race until we see Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Emotions, emotions, emotions. Okay, now you're not clapping for me, I get that. If that truth is true because it's in God's word and you believe it, give God a hand. Okay? My faith is not a crutch, it's my anchor.